0: Love that old hymn. It's called "Hiding in Thee." Thank you very much, Connie, for that. Well, great to see you out on week three of our series, "Risen Indeed." And this morning we're headed to the Old Testament, to the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah. And if you're physically able, would you stand this morning for the reading? If there's somebody close to you that doesn't have a Bible, would you share with them and let's all look together? We'll start reading there in Isaiah chapter six. And I'll read in verse number one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Let's pray together. Father, would you bless this morning as we speak from this powerful passage about the role you would have for each of us in the Christian walk. I pray that you would help us to catch a glimpse of who you are so we might see who we are and what we should do with our lives. Guide us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And would you listen as Brother Barry Beattie sings, Be Thou My Vision.
1: Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me save that thou art. Thou my best throne by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence my light. Be Thou my wisdom and Thou my true word. I ever with Thee and Thou with Great Father, Thy true Son, Thou in me dwelling, and I with Thee one, riches I heed not, no man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and only first in my heart. I King of Heaven, my treasure Thou I High King of Heaven, my victory won. May I reach Heaven's joys, O bright Heaven's Son.
0: Amen. Thank you, folks, for that beautiful song. Love that song. Well, on Easter Sunday a couple weeks ago, we looked at Luke 24 and the great passage there detailing the two disciples on the road to Emmaus that met Jesus right on the day of his resurrection. And the risen Savior uh, walked with them on the road and, and it basically ignited a movement that turned the world upside down through his resurrection. We've been looking now at these last couple of weeks, the dynamics that the first followers of Jesus took away from the Emmaus experience. So far we saw that he is alive, is the greatest catalyst to our service to him. In fact, if we don't have a risen Savior, there's absolutely no motivation for ministry. There's really no motivation even to worship if we don't have a risen Savior, but we do serve a risen Savior, and so that changes everything. And the next dynamic, which we saw last week, was catalyst number two. He will abide. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, indwells the believer. And we said that he is the true vine, and we're the branches that bear fruit. This morning, we're moving on to this third dynamic now. And we're going to understand how it is that Jesus sets our hearts aflame for his service. Just as he set the hearts of the Emmaus disciples aflame, so many years ago. And so, Catalyst 3, in our title for this morning's message, He Sets Us Aflame. And the notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. Isaiah 6, for me, is such an incredible passage. And it describes here the prophet's interaction with the mighty God of creation. And I hope you'll catch how our relationship with God is similar in every age. I hope that you will pursue... A relationship with God like Isaiah had. This passion to do what God wants you to do with your life. And there are four things from this passage, really, I think, that happened to Isaiah that need to happen in our lives for us to have our hearts set aflame. And so let's talk first about a lifted Christ. A lifted Christ. If you go back to verse number one, it's interesting that it gives this time and this date. And because of this date stamp, we know that this was in B.C. 758, because it's the year that King Uzziah died. And Uzziah was also known as Azariah in the Kings and Chronicles. But this particular year, the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah caught a glimpse or a vision of the Lord high and lifted up. Now, some commentators have said, that Isaiah looked to Uzziah as a spiritual mentor and as a guide, and Isaiah couldn't really get a glimpse of God's glory until Uzziah was out of the way. And we know that that's true sometimes in our lives. Maybe you have a mentor or you have somebody who you really look up to, and until that person steps out of the way for whatever reason whether it's that they retire or maybe that they move on and allow you to have the, the role or the position. But until you're not looking at them every day, you don't really get what you're supposed to do. right? It's kind of like in the Bible. Uh, you remember Moses had uh, Joshua who followed him around for almost 40 years And it said that uh, he served him and he ministered to him and he carried his staff and he went and he prayed with him. And then Moses died. And remember, the very next thing that happens is Joshua is on his face before God and he doesn't even really know what to do. And God has to come to Joshua and say, okay, time to get up and move on. Be strong and of good courage. And if you ever read the first chapter of the book of Joshua, it's there again and again and again. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Get up and get moving. And his mentor was out of the way, and now Joshua had to take steps on his own. And so it could be that Isaiah had this same interaction where Uzziah was kind of his spiritual mentor. Uzziah was a righteous king until the very end of his life. And now Uzziah is out of the way. And Isaiah is seeing God for the first time as someone to have a relationship with. Now, we see this happen in our own lives, right? Uh, Our daughter uh, got home yesterday morning from a trip, and and my wife said she can sing Jesus loves me the whole song almost now. And uh, so she came in and sang me the song, and uh, she got a couple of the words twisted up. But here's what was interesting about it. Sophie just turned two maybe a month ago. She has no idea what those words mean. Right? But she knows Jesus loves me, this I know. Now, she's going to continue as the months go by to hear more about this Jesus guy. And that is not brainwashing. That's truth-filling. Right? We're not teaching her about marks and linen We're not teaching her about Saddam Hussein. We're not teaching her about taking over the world through Islamic terrorism. We're talking about the Savior of the world. It's okay to teach your kids that. Am I right? I think we're okay on that one. But she's going to learn Jesus loves her, and then she's going to learn Jesus died for her, and then she's going to wonder, why did Jesus have to die for me? Because you are a rotten sinner. Which my wife said that she definitely is. I'm having a hard time buying in, you know, kind of the father, grandfather figure here. Not quite sure, but my wife said on a trip this week that she had to stop the car four times to talk to her about her her behavior, and I was in a 10-minute trip, so that's, <laughs> uh, she's a real sinner, and so here, she's going to find out about Jesus and who he is and why she needs him, you know? She's heard about Jesus all this time, but there's a day that we pray for every day now where she will meet Jesus for herself. Amen. So see, there's a day when we're going to step out of the way and she's going to have a relationship with Jesus for herself. And I hope that's what you pray for every one of your kids. And I, I hope that's what you pray for every one of your grandkids, that they will have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. It's what Isaiah had. And we don't know exactly what his relationship with Uzziah, we don't know if the commentators are right, but we do know this. This happened in the year King Uzziah died. So that's official, we've got that down. And we know that as he had this experience, that he saw this vision of the throne of God. He saw this vision of the seraphims and uh, in your study Bibles, maybe you read about the seraphims, the angels that are before the throne. And the interesting thing about them is they have six wings. Right? Six wings. You say, well, nobody has six wings. Uh, they're actually um, animals, some animals and some insects that have quite a few wings. And so you can study that on your own. The God of creation who made everything, he made it in a variety of ways. Right, right? He made it a variety of ways. Um, For instance, have you ever considered the platypus? It's just weird. The platypus could not have evolved from anything, and it could not have evolved into anything. It is a mammal that lays eggs. It doesn't make any sense in the classification system. And God just threw that one in for fun. Here's platypus. And if you say it plural, it's platypi. Got to get that one right. But the seraphim six wings, and with two wings they constantly cover their face before because they're before the holy, holy, holy throne of God. With two wings they cover their feet because their feet are need to be protected in the throne room of God. It's like when Moses walked up to the burning bush and the voice said, "Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground." They had to cover their feet. And with two, they fly. And they're in constant motion before the throne of God, and Isaiah saw a vision of this throne of God. He saw the holiness of God. and as the voice spoke, the posts of the door moved. That's how powerful the voice was. Right? The voice was so powerful that it shook the room. Okay? It's kind of like when you drive up uh, to one of the stoplights and you have a kid come up next to you in his rigged up uh, Toyota Supra or something and the speakers are bigger than the car. Right? <laughs> and it shakes. Boom, boom, boom. You, well, Is there an earthquake? You know, is the city being torn apart? And they, oh, it's just a guy with the radio. Okay? Well, here we've got the, the voice of just this incredible worthiness of God shook the doorposts of the room. His train filled the temple. The house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah caught a glimpse of who God really is. I would say to you, until Jesus has the preeminent place in my life, I will not and I cannot have a clear vision of my own purpose. Until I know who God is. I can't really know who I am. That's why people who study psychology and try to find out who they are through man-made fashion never find out who they really are. In fact, if you study this, you know who some of the most confused people are in all of human history? People that have tried to figure out how human beings work. They get totally confused. Confused. And without God in the picture, we can't even know who we are. Without God's influence and His creation, we wouldn't even be here. And so His preeminent place in our lives is so huge. And Isaiah caught a glimpse of the most holy God of the universe. It changed His perspective on everything else. I want you to see Paul's take on this over in Colossians chapter 1. This is a verse that every believer should know. And you should if you underline in your Bible, you should underline this first, and you should know this first and quote this first, Colossians one. And let's lead up to it because I want you to know a little bit about this passage as well. This is Paul's glimpse now through Holy Spirit inspiration of this same God of the universe that Isaiah saw, this same God through the physical representation of Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians one:15. And He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Look at this last phrase in verse 18. That in all things, He might have the preeminence. Now until that slogan, until that byword becomes an actual part of our lives, we can't know what we're supposed to do. We can't know who we really are. We can't know what our purpose in life is. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. That's the starting point, is a lifted Christ. Until we have a lifted Christ, we don't have any idea of who we really are. And so that's who Isaiah saw. Now let's go back to Isaiah 6. And yeah, I want you to go down in the passage a little more. We're going to see the second part of the message. Now we saw a lifted Christ. Now I want you to see a look at corruption. A look at corruption, or we could say a look in the mirror. Right? Because that's who we are. We are corrupt. We are fallen creatures. We're fleshly. And Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Look what Isaiah said. I love his wording here. Isaiah 6.5 Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Now, if there are words that describe the human race, those are the words. I am undone. That means I am incomplete. I'm an incomplete thing. Made out of dirt. Breathed into life by the breath of God. And uh, I'm undone in my own nature, in my own path, in my own way. I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why did He say that? He said that because of the end of the verse. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When I see the King for who He is, I can see me for who I am. Woe is me. And we say this in your notes, seeing God makes me see myself in truth. Not the me I wish I were, or the me I pretend to be, the real me. You know, that's who we think of ourselves to be most of the time. The me that we wish we were, the me that I wish I am, and the me I pretend to be. The me that I post to everybody that I am on social media, the me that I pretend to be at my workplace, the me that I pretend to be around certain people with influence, that's who I really would like to be, but who I really am, I'm undone And it doesn't matter what my position is. It doesn't matter what my role is. It doesn't matter what my title is. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. That's who I am as a human being. That's what Isaiah realized. When he saw how high God was, He was so much higher than Uzziah that there was no comparison. And Isaiah started thinking, wow, maybe that's why I couldn't see God. Uh, Several Weeks ago, my wife and I uh, were privileged to get to go to France for a few days, and um, my wife had earned a trip. And, and we got uh, there, and, and we were walking down one day to go up the Eiffel Tower. And boy, that's the big thing—you you get to pay fifty-nine euro to go up a building, right? Ride right an elevator. And so we were walking, and we had to be there at a certain time. And man, we were we were walking all over, and it seemed like we just—boy, the tower wasn't getting any closer, and then all of a sudden the tower was gone, and we couldn't find it anywhere, and uh, we didn't have cell phone signal, and so we just have these paper maps, and we're walking through the street like a tourist, you know, and uh, everybody's honking, making fun, and you walk around this curve, and you can't find the thing, and you walked out from behind this building, there it was. Larger than life, as big as could possibly be, right in front of us. Why couldn't I see it? Because there was a building in the way. It wasn't a big building. It was like five stories tall, but it was big enough to block an 898 or whatever feet it is, tower. You know, there are things in our lives, because we're sinners, that block who God really is. And when we get them in our view, it's all we can see. Sometimes it's the personalities, like we mentioned with Uzziah. Sometimes it's our own pride that stands in the way. Sometimes it could be the way that we have our priorities set up. Or it could be the habits that we have or the hobbies that we have. There are things in our life though, that can become so big that they block out God. Kind of like an eclipse. Do you know that the moon could fit into the earth? a few times. The moons it seems big in the night sky, but it's not really that big. It's only 225,000 miles away. And uh, it, it's not really a huge thing. But do you know that during an eclipse, that the moon can totally block out the sun? The sun, let's just tell you how big it is. It's 93 million miles away. It could hold the earth inside of it a million times how big it is. It's massive. Just incredibly massive. It can hold the moon in it millions of times. And yet, on that day of the year, when things are aligned that way, the moon can make it look like there's no sun. And your trial and your trouble and your circumstance and that personality or that friend, whatever it is in your life, that's standing between you and God can block out His very presence can block out the person of who God really is. And that's why there's a look at corruption. We have to see our sinfulness. And when Isaiah realized God's perfection, he saw how undone he really was. And he saw how undone the whole human race is. He realized the sinfulness of everyone. And so there was a look at corruption. But then we get to verse number 6, and an interesting thing happens. One of the seraphims flies over to Isaiah who in his vision is standing in the throne room of God. And the seraphim had a live coal in his hands. Now this is interesting to me because the seraphim has six wings but he also has hands. Isn't that unique? That's just incredible. Um, Because most, most creatures that have wings don't have hands. But the seraphims do. And so apparently in the imagery of how angels work, the seraphim has hands and he has six wings. So he flies over with his two flying wings with his two wings covering his face and his two wings covering his feet and he has in his hand, look what it says, a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And as Isaiah stands in the throne room, the seraphim takes the hot coal, the burning coal from off the altar, and he singes Isaiah's mouth with it. He laid it upon my mouth. That's what it said in verse 7. And said, Lo, this has touched thy lips. And thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Do you know the holiness of God was so great. The purity of the altar was so intense that when the live coal touched Isaiah's lips, it purified them. It made them able to be used by God. We have the same thing with believers. Holy Spirit baptism brings new life in Christ and it purges us of what we used to be, allowing the Savior to make us a spiritual creation. 2 Corinthians 5 describes it this way. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How do we become new? New life in Christ. And so Isaiah experienced the fire of purification before he could experience the flame of passion. This happened in the New Testament as well. Look over to Acts chapter 2. I want to show you what happened to the movement that Jesus started on the day of Pentecost, Jesus had started the church and uh, he had birthed the church. And on Pentecost, it became public, it became uh, an actual representation before who Jesus was. In Acts chapter 2, look at verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So all of the followers of Jesus were in one place, and later we find that there were about 120 of them that were in the room at this point. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Look at verse 3. It's one of the strangest things. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. So this Holy Spirit representation was as of a tongue, a forked tongue or a cloven tongue that sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Now that word tongues is the word glossa and it means languages. So they began to speak with other languages, not languages that they knew, languages they didn't know. Okay, so uh, there's a lot of languages that I don't know. Okay? I don't know French, I don't know Latin, I've lear- learned a few words, uh, I don't know German, I don't really even know pig Latin very well. Okay? Some people have tried it on me, and my kids are always coming up with languages, there's an, the op language, right? have you ever heard of this? It's where you put an op after every consonant, so you say I love you, that's I love you. Did you guys catch that? Some of you are still mystified about this. The op language. You could do all sorts of things with languages. But there are known languages and then there are unknown languages. Now, here's the thing about unknown languages. If it's an unknown language, nobody knows it. Isn't that weird? If it's unknown, nobody knows it. If it's a known language, that means there are people who actually speak it. right? So when the Holy Spirit came in and filled the room and the fire came on them, They began to speak in other languages. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak, look at this, in his own language. And what we find out is they weren't speaking gibberish. They were speaking in languages that could be understood by people who were there. In fact, we find out that there were like 15 or 18 different tribes that heard what they were saying here in their own language. And the power of God came upon human instruments on the day of Pentecost, and the cloven tongue of the Holy Spirit purified their lips in such a way where they were speaking other languages. Now, without getting into the issue of languages and tongues here, let's focus on the Holy Spirit's part of this. Just like Isaiah, these disciples experienced the fire of purification that ignited in them the flame of passion. Before we can be used by God, we have to be touched by the fire of purification. The fire of the Holy Spirit. You know, This is the part of it that we don't really like. Because it doesn't say this in Isaiah 6, but when a live coal touches your lips, just think about it. It probably doesn't feel very well. It probably doesn't just the greatest thing. But if the live coal had not touched his lips, he could not have spoken God's Word. He could not have been used by God. And there are things that have to be purified in our lives before we can be used by God. And so there was a live coal that touched his lips. Now, I want you to go back to Isaiah 6 and let's focus for just a minute on the rest of this passage now. Because when we get into Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, 8. Tremendous verse of Scripture. And I heard the voice of the Lord. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, Send me. And we see lastly, a life call. A life call. When I have experienced the clarity of forgiveness, then I'm ready to hear the call to service. Isaiah had an ear toward the voice of the Lord. And though he hadn't yet entered into action, he was thoroughly prepared to go whenever and wherever God wanted him to go because he had seen who God was he had seen who he was, and he had been purified by God. Okay, so it's the same thing in the New Testament. The Bible describes vessels, it says that we're vessels, and we're either vessels of honor or we're vessels of dishonor. And a vessel is something that has to be controlled or used. Okay, you can't do anything on it of itself. I'm sure that with all the electronic gadgets that we have now, that there are cups that move and talk and do all things, sorts of things, until they run out of batteries, right? But normally at your house, when you open the cupboard, the cups aren't doing anything. They're just hanging out, right? Now, How many of you just uh, do an unscientific poll? How many of you have a favorite cup? that you drink out of all the time, right? How many have a favorite mug that you drink your coffee out of? Yeah, and so we, we grow attached to this, right? We have a vessel that we like. Now, it may not be the nicest looking vessel, but it's the vessel we like. It's the vessel that we enjoy drinking out of. Now, I have a certain mug um, that I don't know why I, I really like the mug. It's nothing special. But the thickness of the, of the lip on the top of the cup was just perfect for me. It just fit me just right. And I felt like, uh, what's in the three bears, the little girl, the G- Goldilocks? Is it Goldilocks? It was just right. And that cup's just right for me. Okay, Now, we also have vessels of dishonor. Okay, Now, my wife's dad, he won't drink out of a plastic cup. He was raised in an era where you drank only out of glass glasses. And plastic cups, they're verboten. Forbidden. They're out. How many of you are from that era? Glass is the way to go. Okay, got a few people in here like that. Now, God, you know what He does that's so neat? He uses any vessel that's able to be used from purification whether it's plastic or paper or glass or ceramic or stone or whatever. He can use any of us. You know, every person in this room can be used by God as a vessel of honor if we will do the three first steps. All we have to do is we have to know who God really is. We have to know who we really are and we have to be purified by the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to a place where we're ready now for a life call. Isaiah was ready for a life call, and so God said, who are we going to send? Isaiah said, I'm here. Right here. Send me. Send me. Now, we don't always look at the end of this story. We see that verse like, wow, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That's, that's what we should do. And God's going to say, go. And that's terrific. But you've got to know the end of this story. The rest of this chapter is so powerful. Because God said to him, go, and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. So here's what God's trying to tell him: Okay, Isaiah, you're ready. Go. You're going to talk to people who don't want you anywhere around. Right? It's like giving advice to teenagers. All right? They don't want your advice. They don't want you anywhere near advice. Now, if you're saying, I'll give you some money, or I'll give you car keys, or you can stay out late, they're your best friend, but if you're trying to give them life advice, whoo, talk to the hand. All right? it's just, face ain't listening. They're, they're done with you. Isaiah was going to go and talk to people who had this attitude, not for one day, not for a week or a month, for the rest of his natural life. Isaiah was going to talk. This is Isaiah 6. Do you know Isaiah has 66 chapters? He's going to go for the majority of his life, the vast majority of his life, and talk to people who don't want to hear anything he has to say. I look, it gets worse. Verse number 10. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their heart and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. So Isaiah naturally had a question at this point because God just said, who's going to go for us? Who should we send? Isaiah said, I'm right here. Send me. Pick me. I'm ready. Let's go. And then said God, okay, I'm going to send you, but you need to know that all the people out there don't want you to come. Their heart is weighty um, they have an adamant heart. Their ears are shut off toward the gospel. They don't want to hear anything you have to say. So Isaiah now has a question. I want you to notice this question. It's so big. Verse number 11. Then said I, Lord, how long? Uh, how long is this going to happen, right? Isn't there a good part at the end? Right when we get to chapter eleven, doesn't everything change and everything turns out good and then we have the big the end sign pop up, right? Doesn't the white cow, white hatted cowboy come out at some point? How long, God? That's how we are in our lives sometimes, right? We get to a place we have no good options, where nothing good's happening. We feel like we're on an island alone. We feel like we're deserted. We're discouraged. We're set apart. And we're saying to God, God, how long? How long is this going to be? And even if we don't hear His answer, sometimes we find out that maybe it's going to be a month or it's going to be a year. And then we look back and we say, God brought me through the storm and God brought me through the trial. And we sing beautiful gospel tunes about how God brought us through it all, through it all. And it's such a wonderful thing. Look at God's answer to Isaiah. Now, if this were the answer that was coming to you, say, God, how long is this going to last? Any answer? Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Basically, God said, It's not going to end. How long is it going to last, God? Well, till the end of your life. What if God called you to do something that was hard every day for the rest of your life? Would you still be there? You know, I've been to conferences and youth conferences where Sometimes they paint the picture of God's will as this ethereal, fun thing that, you know, and it is. It's the greatest thing out there is to do God's will. But I'll tell you this, the will of God for your life is not the easy way. The will of God for your life is a hard path. You read about the people of faith who volunteered to serve God in the Bible, and life was not easy for them. Elijah got fed roadkill for three and a half years by ravens. Daniel, oh, he went in a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ended up in a fiery furnace. Okay, John the Baptist lost his head, literally. It was not an easy path for them. You read Hebrews 11, you find out what really happened to these people. They were forsaken. They were destitute. The world cast them aside, and yeah, Bible says eleven in Hebrews eleven, the end of the chapter. It says of whom the world was not worthy, because they said, "God, I'm going to serve you, no matter what, no matter where, no matter how you call me, I'm going." And Isaiah, for sixty more chapters in this book, still. Went, even though nobody wanted to hear what he had to say. You know, Isaiah just so happens in the next chapter of this book caught a vision of someone who would appear on the earth 700 years later called Jesus Emmanuel. It just so happened that in chapter 9 of Isaiah that he caught a vision of the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace who would be coming. And so it so happens that he kept keep going through. He discovered in Isaiah 14 who Lucifer the evil one was. And his book is one of the most foundational books in all of the Old Testament. Gives the Gospel in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 40, it talks about uh, walking forward Even when you don't feel like it, even the youth shall faint, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How long, God? Well, it's going to last. It's going to keep going. And your life today could be that God has brought you to a place where yes, you've glimpsed who He is, and yes, you know you're a sinner, and yes, you know you need His power, but when it comes to the how long part, say, God, I just don't think I can do this anymore. I've had people say to me before, I prayed to God for a good job for two weeks and He never gave me one. Two weeks, not very long. George Mueller, I've told this story before, it's such a, such a great story though. George Mueller uh, ran Christian orphanages in England for decades and decades. And he was such a man of faith, If you ever uh, get a book and you find it anywhere, thrift store, uh, online, and you find it, it's called The Autobiography of George Mueller, you should grab it. It should go in your library. And if you don't want to give it to me, because I'll give them away. Um, It is fascinating. Mueller said that for 50 years, he prayed every day and that God answered a prayer of his every single day. Now that's... if If you pray... If you really pray, that's incredibly fascinating. One morning, they got up for breakfast and they sat down at the table and the kids had all their forks and spoons and their bowls, and they're sitting there and there's nothing in there. And the people who were standing by the stove, there's nothing on the stove. And Mueller got up like he always did and he said, God, I thank you that you have provided our breakfast this morning. The kids were going... And the cooks were going. Right? And he got one eye open for the prayer. Mueller said, God, I thank you that you always give provisions to our orphanage. You are the God of heaven, you are the God of creation. He went on and on. And just before he said Amen, there's a knock on the door. He opens the door. And who is it? It's a grocery cart man. It's the days of horses and wagons. The grocery cart said, Sir, pardon me but one of our wagons has lost a wheel in front of your establishment. If we do not have you take the food, it shall all perish. Will you take the food? Mueller said, we knew you were coming. We were waiting for you. God sent you this way and tore your wheel off, basically, right? And I brought the groceries in. The kids had groceries. Here's this program. So i I've painted this picture of Hugh Mueller. Mueller He's man of faith. Incredible man. Mueller says in autobiography, he prayed for 55 years, every single day, for five of his friends to be saved. He made five friends as a teenager at Oxford. He prayed for every one of them to be saved. And in his lifetime, in those 55 years, only one of them had come to Christ. Did you know Mueller died without that prayer ever being answered? But the year after he died, in the 12 months after he died, the other four came to faith. Do you know your prayers keep going after you leave this room, this building, this house of flesh? And God says, Isaiah, just go ahead and tell you up front. It's going to be rough. Nobody's going to listen to you. Isaiah, how long? How long? Is there a turning point? Do they come back around? Do they hear what I have to say? God said, yeah, until the houses are desolate. Until there's nobody left in the city. Until the end comes. And Isaiah said, okay, let's do this. He got up the next day, and he went and was used as a vessel of God. And he got up the next day, and he went and was used as a vessel of God. And for decades, Isaiah just walked the path of faith. So, I don't know where you're at on the path of faith this morning. Maybe you've never caught a glimpse of God. Because you've got something in the way. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's uh, your job or your career. I don't know what it is. But until you move that out of the way and see who God really is and that He's lifted up, you won't be able to have a relationship. Maybe you kind of know who God is and when you walk outside and you see the creation of God, maybe you're amazed and you stand in awe of who He is, but you've never said, I wonder who I really am and you're just a sinner who needs Jesus. And you need the purification that only the Holy Spirit can bring into your life through salvation. And when that happens, you're ready for a life call. I truly believe that for every person that God created, He has a purpose that is in line with His plan. God wants to use every person in this room, no matter what age you are, no matter what stage of life you're in, God has a plan for you. And yet, when you say, Here am I, I'm ready, sign me up, God, for the plan. You need to know up front, it's not going to be an easy path. It's not going to be an easy path. You know, the easy path of sitting on your couch for 10 hours a day and eating Cheetos and playing video games probably doesn't get you that far in life, does it? But the path that God calls you to, it may be a difficult path. If you ever need some encouragement, read some missionary stories. From modern missionaries, certainly, but from missionaries from the 1700s and 1800s, the pioneers, Hudson Taylor, Adeliram Judson, David Livingston, who went to Africa to reach villages there. Read their biographies and find out what they went through to take the gospel to one more village, to just one more person, to just one more place. When Judson went to Burma, he didn't have a convert for seven years. Not one convert, for seven years. He kept going. He kept going. And he kept going. Look at the end of the chapter here. Verse 13 But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten. As a teal tree is as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. And here's what God says. Isaiah, it's going to be rough. You're never going to see the end of it. You're going to preach every day for the rest of your life and you never see the end of it. But someday, someday God's bringing a remnant back. Someday God's going to bring a remnant back to the city of Jerusalem. Isaiah 758, 607 BC, Jerusalem was ransacked by a king named Nebuchadnezzar, and he took uh, most of the people, and he left a few people in the city, and he took others to Babylon. And for 70 years, Jerusalem was a desolate waste. In 536 BC, a king named Cyrus the Great, by the way, if you read Isaiah 44 and 45, Isaiah mentioned him by name 200 years before he was born. How did that happen? Cyrus the Great made a proclamation, you can read about it in Ezra chapter 1. It said, Hey, you people who want to go back and raise up Jerusalem, head on back. And 200 years after this talk that God had with Isaiah, the people came back. And I don't know what God's plan is for your life, but I know He has one. Stick with it. Hang in there. God will give you wings like eagles. Even when there's no hope on the horizon. Even when there's no hope for your future. Even when you don't know how that young person in your family or your grandson or your granddaughter is going to turn back to God. Keep praying. Keep loving. Keep fighting. Keep working. Keep pushing through. Why? Because God has a plan. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called, according to His purpose. Romans 8, verse 28. Let's bow together. As we bow this morning, I have no idea what's on your heart. I don't know how God is speaking to you. But if you've never caught a glimpse of who the God of the universe is, I hope you will today. I hope you understand that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and He created you. Maybe you need to see yourself for who you really are, a sinner. Headed for a place the Bible calls hell. Jesus can save you. He can redeem you. He can use you. Could be that you've never said to God, God, I'm right here. Send me. I'll do what you want for my life. Whatever your purpose is, please send Me. Whatever it is God's laid on your heart this morning, after we pray, I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes to respond to the message. Father, would You work now in our hearts in a, in a mighty way. Would the Spirit of God come down and meet with us in this place. Help us to understand that we each have a purpose. Help us to be ready to do whatever You've called us to do where we are. Guide us now in this place. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as you stand? Mrs. Hayden's going to play a verse of invitation. Whatever it is you need to pray about today, would you come right to the front or sit at your seat and kneel at your seat? Whatever you need to do this morning, come right now. Don't wait. Come on the first first, and say, Here am I, God. Send me, even when it's hard. Even when I don't know how long it's going to be. Come right now.